this afternoon. Our text is our confession as a church and also the summary of Scripture in Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which deals with the teaching on the Eighth Commandment. So Lord's Day 42 begins with this question, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far from our confession. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this afternoon I'd like to ask, begin by asking a question, especially to the children among us this afternoon. So boys and girls, have you ever wished that you could maybe have a birthday two times in one year? Because if you do the math, two birthdays would mean twice as many presents, wouldn't they? Now there's actually a book on our shelf at home called The Quiltmaker's Gift, which has exactly this in it. There's a king who's extraordinarily greedy, and he makes a law in which people have to bring him birthday presents twice a year. And why does he do this? Well, because he thinks all this stuff will make him happy. But of course it is, he's not happy at all. His palace is filled with things, and he's gloomy and sad. Until finally this woman, the quilt maker, convinces him to start giving it all away. And he does slowly at first, and he starts to find a little bit more joy in his life. Until by the end of this book, he's given everything away, and he's the most happy person in the land. Bursting with joy because he has shared all of his possessions. Now I think this is a theme which is repeated more often in children's books. And there's certainly some some truth to it. Even our Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon in Luke taught us that there's more to life than the abundance of one's possessions. Life is not about gaining all the material wealth that you can. Life, rather, is about being rich towards God. And as we consider the Eighth Commandment this afternoon, we'll explore more of what that means, being rich toward God. And we'll do that with this theme. The Eighth Commandment teaches us to find true riches in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, we have two points. First, what this does not look like. And secondly, what this does look like. So first point, what this doesn't look like. As it teaches in the Eighth Commandment, if we are going to be rich toward God, one of the ways that will show in your life is if you do not steal. And now the Catechism begins this afternoon by describing various ways that sinful human beings might steal. And it begins with simply stating outright theft and robbery. 
So again, I asked the, the boys and girls among us, have you ever stolen something? Taken something that doesn't belong to you? Maybe a toy from a friend, a candy from a friend. Maybe you've even thought about stealing some money from your parents one time. Well, God is teaching us in the Eighth Commandment that that is a sin. And he forbids us from doing that. And of course, for those of us who are older, surely you can remember these urges in your heart as well, or at least the temptation to do that when you were younger. And it's possible that even today you have a a tendency to be tempted to steal. And maybe you've even taken something once, perhaps a small thing from the parts room at work. Maybe you've taken a small thing from the store once before. You tell yourself, nobody will ever know. Well, as a matter of fact, there's one person who does know. That person is God, and God forbids outright theft and robbery in the Eighth Commandment. It's the first thing in a catechism. Then he moves on to false weights and measures. What does that mean? Well, perhaps you know that historically there weren't such things as, as paper money and standard coins. If you wanted to buy something, you had to have a certain weight of silver or of gold. For example, you could think of when Abram wanted to buy a field from Ephron the Hittite. He had to weigh out 400 shekels of silver and buy the gold that way. And so what kind of a principle can we draw from this congregation having false weights and measures? Well, perhaps the modern equivalent might be using the phrase getting what you paid for, truly getting the value of something that you paid for. And so if you, for example, are someone who is in sales, you sell a product to people, does the price that you set on that product truly reflect the value of that product or the time you put into it? Or if you offer a service like construction or landscaping or perhaps hairdressing or something like this, is what you charge the customer an honest reflection of the work you have done? Are your weights and measures honest? Perhaps if you're employed, working for a wage or a salary, you can ask yourself the question, does my work truly reflect the amount of money that I'm being paid? Is the quality there? And if any of these questions this afternoon start to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable inside, or if you recognize that maybe you aren't doing these things exactly as you should, then you're starting to realize that the Eighth Commandment is about a little bit more than just outright stealing things that don't belong to you. And so the catechism moves on from that to this idea of counterfeit money and usury. Now, I think it's pretty hard nowadays to get away with counterfeit money, but this idea of usury is still around. What's usury? Well, it's when you charge interest, especially unfairly high interest, on loans. Now, just to be clear this afternoon, the catechism and also scripture itself is not outright condemning the charging or the earning of interest. But most often when scripture speaks about charging interest, most often the emphasis is on those who are poor in the land of Israel. We didn't quite read up to it, but if you look again at Exodus chapter 20, you can see the Lord God says in in verse 25, if you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, You shall not be like a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. So you can see even in this verse, it's not necessarily the moneylender who's the problem. 
It's when people act like a moneylender to people who are poor. And so you can ask yourself also the question this afternoon, congregation, what would you do if someone came to you, someone in the church congregation, and they needed a bit of a loan to help them through a tight spot in their life? What would you do? Would you perhaps be stingy, not help them at all? Would you maybe give them a loan a bit begrudgingly and expect a little bit of interest on it? Or would you perhaps joyfully help your brother or sister in need and not expect any interest? And in doing so, obey the Eighth Commandment. You know, it's very easy for those who are in power to take advantage of those under them. And that's why the Catechism goes on and it says, We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. So if you are in the position of power, if you have the ability to to set the price for something, is it a fair price? If you're in a position where you can can pay your employees a, a wage, is what you are paying them fair? These are questions you must ask if you are in a position of power. Now, having seen some of the ways that we might break this commandment as the Catechism points to this afternoon, we also should ask the question, why are we tempted to do these things? Why is there sometimes a desire in our heart to do theft or to steal in the ways that the Catechism suggests? Well, this afternoon, I'd like to point to two possible reasons. And the first of those is simply greed. Greed or perhaps jealousy. Why do we steal? Why are we tempted to steal? It's because our hearts are greedy at times. We want more stuff for ourselves. You know, we tell ourselves that all these things somehow is going to make us happy. We're just like that king who wanted his birthday twice a year, and yet he was the most unhappy person in the kingdom. Yet somehow we think that all these things are going to bring us joy. Or perhaps you look across the street or down the road at your wealthy neighbor, and you want the things that he has. You're simply jealous. Greed comes up in your heart, and you start to desire those things, and you work hard for them. Again, thinking that that is a spot where you'll find lasting joy. That's one reason, greed or jealousy. A second reason we might be tempted to steal might be because we don't trust in the Lord our God. You might be tempted to steal because you think you have to in order to pay the bills or in order to perhaps give money to other worthy causes. You might start to convince yourself that it's okay to steal or it's okay to to do theft in certain ways because then you can do good to other places justifying theft. The congregation, to put it rather bluntly, both of these attitudes, whether it's greed and jealousy or whether it's a lack of trust, shows that your heart is really not in the right place with God. And it also shows that you haven't fully comprehended and understood the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. It shows that you haven't found true riches in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why not? Well, let's think first about greed and remember what our Lord Jesus Christ taught in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, he says there in verse 15, he said to them, take care 
and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that word there for covetousness, you could just as easily insert the word greed. Jesus says, be on your guard against all covetousness, be on your guard against all greed. And why is that the case? Well, Jesus explains exactly why it's the case in the parable that follows. The parable that Jesus tells shows that there's more to life than than the abundance of wealth. You know, we can acquire for ourselves a huge amount of things, a huge amount of stuff in this life. And it might bring you, you know, a little bit of joy and happiness for a time. But as Christ made it very plain in this parable, life is short. And there comes a time where God will demand our lives of us, a time when we will die. A time when we will appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ when he returns. And what will be the outcome for you, congregation, if you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and all of your treasures had been stored up on the earth instead of in heaven where Jesus Christ is, instead of being rich toward God? What would be the result? Because scripture plainly teaches that you're not able to serve both God and money. And if money and possessions are more important to you, if greed has taken over your life, then the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, would simply call that idolatry. You're serving a different God. It's not the Lord God anymore who is first in your life. And as we know, don't be deceived. No idolater will enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is something which we need to be particularly aware of. We live in a time of profound wealth. Often there are many people in our midst, even here this afternoon, who are wealthy. And many more of us desire that. We want wealth. Either the world tells us we should strive after it, or this very church community promotes the seeking after of riches. But ask yourself the question, congregation, who is the true God in your life? Who are you seeking after more than anything else? What are you seeking after more than anything else? Is it God Almighty in the heavens? Or is it the countless gods of this earth which you look for in possessions? And then there's also our lack of trust in God's provision. I notice how our Lord Jesus Christ, right after telling this parable, transitions into that subject of trusting God in our lives. He even links these two things together with that word therefore in verse 22. He says in Luke 12, verse 22, he's told the parable of this rich fool. He says in verse 22, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that your life is not found in possessions. There's more to life than that. True life is found in putting your trust and dependence on God, who can provide for you in marvelous ways, providing for you in much greater ways than he provides even for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. You don't need to steal. You don't need to be tempted to steal. Because God has promised 
in Holy Scripture to provide you with what you need for this life. Now, of course, it's true that God's provision for you could be very different than the provision that you think you need. But again, remember what our Lord Jesus says in verses 30 and 31 of Luke chapter 12. It says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look to him, first of all. Seek riches in the gospel and trust that God will provide you with what you need in this life as you strive to serve him. Now, do you trust in your heavenly father in that way, congregation? Do you believe that God is able to provide for you and that he will provide for you? How can you be sure that he will do so? Well, you can trust the Lord to do this because, first of all, He has the power and the authority to do so. He's created this whole world. Everything in it is his. We sang this in Psalm 89. Both earth and skies are yours. Yours is all creation. The world with all it holds, you placed on its foundation. And now just think of God as the creator and as the possessor of all things. Of course he has the power to provide you with whatever you need. As you seek to serve him in this life, he's got the power to do so. But even more than that, congregation, you can trust that God will provide for you because he's already given to you the greatest gift you could ever imagine in your life. And I want you to think, what am I talking about when I say that? What gift has God given to you which is infinitely more valuable than anything you can imagine? Well, of course, it's the gift of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. God's greatest gift to you is his beloved son who went to the cross and shed his blood and broke his body for you. Think of what it says in Romans 8, verses 32. It says there, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him Graciously give us all things. The Apostle Paul there is saying that if God gave to you his own well-beloved son to suffer and die for our sin, to assure us of his glorious eternal inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth, what will he not provide as we seek after his kingdom in this life? What will God not provide for his people whose goal is to serve him and to further his kingdom? We are already unimaginably rich with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he suffered for us. And if this is truly the case, congregation, if you can believe that in your minds and believe it in your hearts, that God has given you his everything for your salvation, then why would the thought of stealing ever arise in your heart? Why would there be any greed inside of you when you have everything you need and when God has promised to give you what you need in this life, even as you look forward to the life to come? Think of what it says in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. 
The Apostle Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus Christ emptied himself, becoming poor. And in doing so, he has made us all rich. Those who by faith trust in him as our Savior are rich. And that's really what it means to be rich toward God, doesn't it? To trust that he's given you everything in Jesus Christ. To trust that he will continue to provide for you in this life. And this afternoon, again in the Eighth Commandment, God is calling us to cultivate this awareness in our hearts to cultivate an awareness of the riches we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? Well, you spend time in the riches of the gospel. You read the word of God. You pray to the Father. You praise him for the great grace he has shown to you in Jesus Christ. And you also cultivate this this acknowledgement of riches by examining yourself to see where you've fallen short, to see where you have sinned, so that you can repent from these things, turn again to God, and believe that you are rich. And you know, this is one of those commandments where when you break it, you can know that there is forgiveness for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross to suffer and die for your sin, and one of those sins that he suffered and died for is the sins of stealing, the sins of greed, the sins of jealousy. There's this wonderful line in the Belgian Confession in Article 21. It's speaking about the satisfaction of Jesus Christ. And it references Psalm 69, verse 4. And it says that our Lord Jesus Christ, as part of his perfect satisfaction, restored what he had not stolen. You know, Jesus Christ, as part of his satisfaction, went to the cross to suffer and die for our sin of stealing. And so you can know that our Lord Jesus Christ has made restitution. If you have been convicted this afternoon that you have been in some way stealing, whether it be any of the ways that catechism describes or in some other way, turn from that. Repent from your sin. and Trust that it is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you come to believe and accept the wonderful riches of the gospel, When you believe that you are rich in Jesus Christ, you'll start to see that working out in your life as well. And so we come to our second point, what this does look like when we find true riches in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the Catechism teaches us then in answer 111, what does this look like? Well, instead of stealing, we should promote our neighbor's good wherever we can and may. Now, what exactly does that mean in the context of the Eighth Commandment? Well, simply put, when you promote your neighbor's good, you'd be doing the opposite of whatever we talked about in question answer 110. Rather than stealing from someone, we work to ensure that their goods are protected. And there are endless ways you could apply that. You could simply keep an eye on your neighbor's property while they're gone. It's promoting their good. Or you can make sure that you have adequate insurance on your vehicles so that if you happen to get into an accident, You'll be able to protect your neighbor's good, promote your neighbor's good. And further, if you are someone who is a consumer of goods and services, and all of us are, promoting your neighbor's good means that you are willing to pay a fair price. You can think here of the words of Proverbs 20, verse 14. 
It says there, bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes away, then he boasts. But if you are someone who promotes your neighbor's good, you're not going to be the person who's always saying bad, bad, and haggling over a price if the price is fair. You'll simply pay it and promote your neighbor's good. And perhaps there are times when promoting your neighbor's good means that you will loan them money without expecting anything in return. Never mind interest. I can still remember a number of years ago, a friend of mine in high school was given a used car. It wasn't a particularly expensive car, but it was a good, reliable vehicle. The family that gave it to her didn't have any greed in their hearts. They didn't need the extra money. They just gave it to her out of a desire to promote their neighbor's good. (laughs) So often we want to try to sell everything that we're getting rid of. We want to sell this and sell that and make a few bucks. But perhaps God is telling us in the Eighth Commandment this afternoon to promote our neighbor's good in ways which don't see us so greedy for money. And the Catechism goes on and it says that we should deal with others as I would like others to deal with me. And again, if we're thinking in the context of the Eighth Commandment, if we're thinking of stealing, how do we want others to treat us? How would we like to be treated? How can we apply that concept? Well, I think we read about one way to do that in Exodus chapter 22. Exodus 22, that's full of this talk about restitution. And now what was the purpose of restitution, congregation? Well, when you steal something... Not only is there a loss of property, but there's a loss of trust, isn't there? If someone's ever stolen something from you or cheated you out of something, then there will be a time where you don't trust that person anymore. That person needs to regain the trust of that relationship. And what these laws in Exodus 22 were meant to do is to show that there was real intent to restore the relationship. Not simply the goods, that were stolen or that were lost. And so we see that if you've broken the Eighth Commandment, you have an obligation to God, certainly, to seek forgiveness for that sin, but you have an obligation to your neighbor as well. Repent, seek forgiveness from God, and then seek to make restitution with your neighbor. And as we read through Exodus 22, perhaps you're a bit surprised or even shocked by some of the things God commanded there You know, if you stole an ox or a sheep, you weren't just supposed to give one back. You had to give back five oxen or four in the case of a sheep. It's not a small amount. And if something was stolen but still in that person's possession, then you would have to pay double. And further, if something accidental happens, like that fire getting out of control, still there was this requirement to make full restitution to restore their goods, and in doing so, restore that relationship with your neighbor. Now, how might we take a chapter like Exodus 22, written for the Israelites so many years ago, and start applying this to our lives here today? Well, just think with me, congregation, and think with me, boys and girls. You know, if you steal something, and if you aren't able to give that thing back anymore... You know, if you took the proverbial cookie from the counter that you weren't supposed to and ate it and it was gone, how are you going to make restitution? 
I think when we read Exodus 22, you start to get a sense that it's not simply good enough just to say sorry anymore. Perhaps you can offer to help your mother bake the next batch of cookies. And congregation, this goes for you as well. Those who are older, perhaps you see a spot in your life where you've been guilty of the sin of stealing. What do you need to do in order to make restitution for that? If you've outright stolen something, then perhaps you should pay that back at least at double. If you've charged more for your goods and services than you should have, if you've charged more if your workmanship was not up to the quality that you said it was, perhaps you need to make restitution for that. And if you've not been paying your employees a fair wage, how might you go about making restitution for something like that? And this should not be a burden to us, congregation, because if we as people of God are starting to comprehend the riches that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then obeying the command of God not to steal and also having a desire to make restitution should really be a joy for us. It should be something we delight to do. We should love to promote our neighbor's good, to deal with them as we want to be dealt with. Because in doing so, we are showing that we are not greedy and that we trust in our Heavenly Father to provide for us. And finally, the Catechism teaches this afternoon that fulfilling the Eighth Commandment also means working faithfully. This is something which often we are very good at in our community, isn't it? Working faithfully with our hands. We work hard. We know what that looks like. We understand that God created this world to be cultivated, to be subdued. And many of us have an important place in that. But then notice what the Catechism teaches is the purpose of work this afternoon. It says there at the end of answer 111, and that I work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. You know, the purpose of working hard is not so that we can acquire more things for ourselves, first of all. It's not so that we can plan for the next great vacation we want to go on. A heart which is renewed by the Holy Spirit and holds fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ works hard so that it can give to others, so that it can give to those among us or in our broader community or in the world who find themselves in need. And even as we do this congregation, we can remember the loving provision of our Heavenly Father. We might not always think that we have very much to give. We might think at times that we need to save every little penny that we have. But I invite you to simply listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ one more time in the chapter that we read from Luke. Jesus says in Luke 12, verses 31 through 34, Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. And then listen to what he says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, seek the kingdom, and right away he says, it's your father's pleasure to give it to you. And then what does he say? He says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Do you want to know if your 
heart has been renewed by the Holy Spirit, if you comprehend the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ and ask yourself, where is your treasure? And really, that's the question we can go home with this afternoon as well. And as we go into another week, you can ask yourself, where is my treasure? Is it all here on this earth? Or have we been taught by God in the Eighth Commandment this afternoon to find true riches, not here on earth, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen.